scripture this morning is an interpretation of Psalms 4 and Psalms 149. Even in the midst of great pain, Lord, I praise you for that which is. I will not refuse this grief or close myself to this anguish. Let shallow men pray for ease, comfort us, shield us from sorrow. I pray for whatever you send me, and I ask to receive it as your gift. You have put a joy in my heart greater than all the world's riches. I lie down trusting the darkness, for I know that even now you are here. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise him with words and silence. Praise him through your actions. Praise him in sorrow and in joy. Praise him with music and dancing, with bodies moving in delight. Let the wise sing out in their freedom. Let the whole earth echo their song. Let all God's creatures be peaceful and walk in the path of true life. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. You know, I just have to say, I, I just have to say, you know, I heard that I heard it said that um, you have to get to church early to get a good seat in the back. <laughs> but none of you were early. Why had um, a couple of things first. Just stillness is the language of God, and everything else is a bad translation. So talking about music is not that easy. Talking about music isn't easy anyway. It's like uh, talking about humor. Like, don't, don't talk to... Tell me a joke. Make me laugh. So I will do a bunch of playing. In fact, let me start with the, the sermon. This is really the sermon. is in that. The whole cosmos, I think, is in that chord. Um, but I'm going to talk about music anyway. So music has always been a means of spiritual expression, as well as emotional expression. It is a way the, for the force of the spirit to, to manifest emotionally and physically, usually without engaging the thinking process. That's one reason why we have music that comes after the sermon, so that that piece of music can help carry those words into your body, into, into your heart. 
where, where there's a deeper place of understanding. And the music links the sermon to communion. So right after the music is the communion, which really is the rich union of thoughtfulness and spirituality. It's a ritual of bringing it all together into oneness. It's a vision, really, and it's perceived not in the mind because visions are perceived in the heart. So the music helps prepare the heart. That's, that's why we do it the way we do it. In this vision of oneness, all things are brought together and somehow blended into something entirely new. In that chord, there were, I think, uh, four or five minor chords, four or five major chords, all together. And it it made something entirely new. So this vision is recognizing this oneness, and as far as I can tell, it's always been this way. It involves all things sentient, non-sentient. Oneness is where joy is not separate from sorrow, where grief is not separate from love, where tragedy and comedy, sickness and health, richer and poorer, for better and for worse, are all married. (laughs) No one and nothing is left out of communion. So music, which is a blend of sound and silence, can lead us into deeper stillness where we can hear God. Okay, so let's talk about this music. How did it get to be this way? We've got to go down back a little bit in history. So hang with me here. I'll be saying that a couple of times along the way. Hang with me here. The power of music has always been recognized. An early example of it is Diabolo de Musica. Who has ever heard of that? Oh, this is good. It's Diabolo de Musica. It's the devil in music. Back in the early days of the previous millennium, the church leaders had deep suspicions of this particular interval. (laughs) The tritone, the tritone, three full steps apart. It was a very disturbing sound to the ears of the early church, and some declared it was the incarnation of the devil in sound. It was essentially banned from church music for a long period of time. Now, my teacher, Erwin Stahl, said the church authorities were right to ban it. He compared it to the story of Prometheus, a story that Prometheus that gave fire to humanity and was severely punished, like I don't even want to tell you, by Zeus. Erwin conjectured, and he thought of the... Erwin thought the tritone was like musical fire. He conjectured that the church's intention in removing the tritone from church compositions was to create, without that interval, create a mesmerizing musical veil that was free of any tension, and in some ways a kind of mind control. The church understood the power inherent in music, and in specific musical intervals, that it could produce provocative and weird sonorities that incite the mind and heart. All this could be going on below the level of consciousness, but still was dangerous, nonetheless. Now, the eventual and inevitable acceptance of the tritone 
into our music was significant. It was a significant example of how music, especially in the Western part of the world, continues to have a progressive evolution, a relentless march forward of artistic innovation that expresses the collective spiritual and psychic consciousness of humanity. It grows and widens and deepens as it moves on. Another example of this is even temperament. I'm not going to go on about even temperament. That's really for a college classroom. But it basically was the universal agreement across the globe centuries ago to adjust the scalic system so that it made it more open for a vast amount of harmonic possibilities. That's all I can say about it now, but, I, but I have to, you have to know that without the tritone and without even temperament, there is no Bach. There's no Mozart. There's no Billie Holiday. There's no Bruce Springsteen. There's no, name, name a group. Name, a, name, a, name your favorite group. The Beatles. Beatles, no, no. They live four lives of quiet obscurity, the Beatles. They never would have happened. Bob Dylan. No, can't. But you could get close. I think the only music I can think of is rap because it doesn't have a harmonic concept that I know of. It's all about rhythm and lyrics. So that's, that might have been possible. Moving on. Uh, much of music traditionally is made up of major and minor keys and chords. Uh, there, I'll, I'll demonstrate all this. There exists a strong distinction between the two. Major being the key of brightness, optimism, joy, and minor the key of darkness, grief, and weightiness. So, you know, here we have major chord, minor chord. So, suppose um, Ode to Joy were written in minor. It's a, it's a, maybe it's a nice piece of music. It's not owed to joy anymore. Or, or how about this one that you know? Uh, I suppose that's, that's minor. Okay, interesting piece of music. Not Mary had a little lamb anymore. Maybe, maybe Mary lost her little lamb, or, or, or Mary had a, a little vampire bat. It, it just completely changes everything about it. Major and minor differentiations, though much beautiful music is written from both perspectives, and we were talking about Bach and Mozart. It expresses essentially a dualistic sensibility of what was at one time almost a universal sense that life is divided into aspects of sorrow and all that is associated with sorrow and aspects of joy and all that's associated with joy. And that these two things are very separate, like heaven and hell. Things changed, evolved. 
spirituality became more complex than the heaven and hell world of traditional religion as modernism developed through the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries and as vast wars and cataclysms engulfed the planet. People lost faith in a God that should not have allowed such horror to exist. I know I have them in my family. The God of heaven could not account for so many innocent people finding themselves in the hell of world war and genocide. Astoundingly, or maybe not so astoundingly, at the same time, there began a worldwide search for a deeper, more realistic spirituality. So many explorers and innovators and artists and writers and musicians, teachers, thinkers, were looking for ways to express and describe and present this new changing reality that seemed to be neither heaven nor hell, neither good nor evil, or beyond good and evil. You had concepts now like tragicomedy, anti-hero, stories, books, and films without resolution where the good guys do not always win and the bad guys are not always punished. There were difficult and complex pieces of art without any straightforward message or meaning or moral. And this is how that evolution unfolded in music as I see it. Dissonance, as typified by the dreaded tritone, even when it was permitted to return to the musical lexicon, required resolution. The tension could exist, but it had to be diffused, dissipated. Even the great Beethoven never left tritone unresolved. Now we can go. <laughs> my, my, my teacher used to call it uh, uh, being in a hotel room and hearing one shoe drop. That's like a really old-fashioned metaphor, but you, got, you can't go to sleep until you hear the second shoe drop upstairs. <laughs> Dissonance gradually became more tolerated, though. Dissonances became longer and more elaborate and louder, and the resolutions shorter and quieter. It was as if composers were putting all into the tension and then resolved the tensions because they had to, because it was the rule. And then imagine this. One day, someone, somewhere, didn't resolve the tritone. Played it and just left it there. I love to think about who who that might have been. Could it have been in in 1855 when Leaves of Grass was published or 1898 when Monet was painting the water lilies during the trauma of the Great War? Or 1927 when Virginia Woolf wrote To the Lighthouse? When, When could it have been? Because once it started happening, it happened everywhere. Chords then began to evolve. Major chords took on characteristics of minor chords, and minor chords took on characteristics of major chords. Words like elliptical came into use, meaning it could be this, it could be that. Epicene, like Pisces, from that word. It could be two opposites at once, contained in the same thing. 
Major chords were tinged with some dark coloring. Minor chords were blended with some dab of bright color. Maybe some sense can be made here of the fact that if you take the primary unison of all, how many hands go this time? The octave, and break it exactly in half, you get two tritones. I'd love to be able to tell you what that means. I have no idea, but I, it, it makes me wonder if somehow that fire is contained inside of this placid perfection. So, major and minor sevenths. Absolutely central to the new lexicon were combinations of major triads and minor triads. I just got to, so you take a major triad, a minor triad. Put them together. And you get a sound that we all love. We know it. So, here's just a quick example. Combinations of minor and major create something altogether different. Now, jazz was the standard bearer of this new harmony. Jazz brought this language into the popular culture. And you had songs like Summertime, a, a lullaby about a perfect childhood in a minor key. Always struck me always struck me. Or consider the blues, about grief and pain largely, but played in major chords. Darkly, darkly painted major chords. It is the conjoining of human joy and, and inflicted pain that is the African-American experience. And, and the blues player is in tune and in strict musical time, but singing, she's singing or playing about heartbreak. It's grief and beauty interlocked. Now, the, the, the heart of the blues is a technical, technical, warning, technical information <laughs> coming, is called a dominant seventh sharp nine chord. Essentially what that chord is, is a major and minor chord created directly on the same root. So, this. Spread out, it becomes this. Now, what, what would your life be without this? Um, purple, blue, very blue. 
the blues, which we played a little bit of a, of a Miles Davis blues at Offertory, is very, very much this. It's between black and white. It's dark, it's light, there's all kinds of blues in the blues. These aspects of major and minor, joy and brightness for major and sorrow, and darkness for minor, took on a different sensibility altogether when merged in these new sounds, as if joy and sorrow, light and dark, were not necessarily or actually in opposition at all. So here, you know, the, uh, I was told, uh, advised, coached, to have a story. Make sure your sermon has a story. So um, this is... Come this, on, brother, stop it. This is going to be our story. Uh, imagine, okay, I'm going to set you up. Uh, imagine that there's a grown woman, and she's looking back on her life, and she's looking back particularly on her childhood, her, her happy beautiful childhood lost it's over you know it doesn't have to be traumatic lost childhood is is a can be a real reason to grieve and she's thinking about this beautiful beautiful perfect little creature that used to follow her around wherever she went and she it's so sad and sweet at the same time can you help me out with this, John? So what could this new harmonic language portend in this world? What might it be a clue to? How might it guide us? What's the music's message? Okay, so you've been great. You've been right with me. Now you're going to have to leap with me. When we use the epicene language of blended chordal harmony as if it is, it is as if to imply that death and grief are inlaid into every happy and positive moment. If we are being honest with ourselves and can accept the truth 
all of it, we know that we're all going to die. And the understanding of that truth, your life ends, all of our lives ends, puts light into the seemingly pure darkness of any moment. To say it differently, a minor triad is never the whole story of any moment when it is blended with a major chord. And a major chord is never the whole, the whole truth either. The two together create a different reality that sounds more true to me. When I hear that music, I don't escape. I come home. And when a dissonance does not resolve, what is the music signaling to, to us? To me, it says, accept the tension. Accept even the chaos, the chaos that is like a wild wind. Let it in. How can I know this music is true? How can I know that this music is true and telling me the truth? I have, I have the answer. The answer is because it's beautiful to me. Harold Bloom, if you know of him, the great Yale professor, said, beauty has to have some strangeness in it. And I find these chords, this music, this language, ravishing, rich, stunning, gorgeous, provocative, startling. It wakes me right up with its truthfulness. The unresolved nature of the sound, it sounds so true. Everyone loves the sound of a train in the distance. Everyone knows it's true. Paul Simon line. It is like when someone talks intimately and honestly about death, particularly about their own death. It's not morbid. It's not morbid to me. It's beautiful and truthful. We will die. It's true. Therefore, it's beautiful because it's the way it is. And that makes it beautiful. That is what the music is trying to tell us. That's the music's message. This sorrowful moment will end, and that's beautiful. This joyful moment will end, and that's beautiful. Nothing is left out, not a thing. The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time from one moment to the next. Nothing has to be morbid or depressing. It's the way it is, therefore it's beautiful. And our purpose, I do see it as my purpose, is to find the beauty. So, is everything happening as it should be? Does everything unfold for the better? And is there nothing we should be doing? I kind of feel like saying, oh, I'm just about out of time now. I don't have time for those questions. Um, but I do think it is in our nature to make the world better and that we need to act on that and we need to do what we can to find inner peace and outer peace, to find inner peace and create outer peace are the two great purposes in life. And let's face it, these two purposes are the same purpose. 
And we can start on that path by accepting what is. Now, um, in Stephen Mitchell's interpretations of the Psalms, and he did an interpretation of the Tao Te Ching also, he, he recognized this same line in both the Psalms and the Tao Te Ching, the Chinese Book of Wisdom, written about the same time 3,000 years ago. They both say, even in the midst of great pain, the master is centered in her heart. There's room for all of it there. No matter what the world gives you, there is room for peace. And I think of Jesus in Jerusalem, coming to Jerusalem, bringing us to the moment, to the moment where we can see finally how humanity and divinity cross and are one. as they've always been. Amen.